Blast podcast of all time. I am your host, Ben Abramoff. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is to teach residents about new, interesting topics in the field of physical medicine and rehabilitation and to keep them up to date on the newest literature. We will start this hopefully as a weekly podcast and increase uh, its frequency uh, depending on uh, the interest that builds. Each of these podcasts will be around 15 to 20 minutes, but I do uh, give myself the option to go above or below uh, that target as uh, topics dictate. Each week, uh, we will have a new uh, and different co-host to help uh, keep this podcast interesting. Is that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly those of the people presenting and do not ref reflect any institutional uh, views. And as always, uh, please be sure to check the primary literature yourself. Uh, before we jump into our first uh, weekly segment, uh, I just want to tell you guys a little bit about me. I am uh, originally from Cleveland, Ohio. I went to uh, undergrad at Cornell University and medical school at The Ohio State University. Go Bucks. Some of my interests uh, include spinal cord injury medicine and cancer rehabilitation. Uh, I've always been interested in new media and podcasting, and I'm actually a fan of some of the other PM&R podcasts, uh, as well as some emergency podcasts. My wife is actually an emergency resident here at Emory as well. And during my undergrad, I started an internet radio station uh, called uh, Slope Media. Uh, and in high school and college, uh, I also participated in John Carroll University Radio uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Joining me for this segment today is Kunj Patel. He is one of my fellow uh, amazing residents at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Kunj, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, Ben. Uh, so I'm a second year resident in physical medicine rehabilitation at Emory um, with a passion for research and also, um, you know, the field of physiatry and. And also our new president of the uh, American Academy of Physiatrists. Is that right? The Association of Academic Physiatrists. OK. And uh, also an MTSP fellow. Yeah. Rehabilitation Medical Scientist Training Program pre-applicant. So what, is, what does that mean? Well, uh, basically, the Rehabilitation Medical Scientist Training Program is a NIH uh, pathway training program that uh, basically prepares young aspiring physiatrists to become medical scientists that get competitive NIH grants someday and hopefully uh, improve the field with research basic science. So as you can tell, uh, Kunj knows exactly what he's talking about. And Kunj, what's your seg first segment called? So we'll be doing a quick hits with Kunj. Sure. <laughs> okay. So we're going to start quick hits with Kunj. And uh, my understanding is each uh, week you'll have uh, four or five quick uh, summaries of different uh, new or recent literature in the field of physical medicine and rehabilitation. Yes. Yes. And this week I think we'll go with uh, some 
interesting hits on pain. So a few recent articles, and then we'll uh, mix up those with some board questions. So the first article um, was this study you know, published in the Journal of Neuroscience um, that shows that mindfulness meditation um, might provide an effective treatment for pain. So it's a really uh, interesting study. They put they took 78 patients and um, they divided them into four groups, made half of them do mindfulness meditation, and half of those received naloxone, the other half received placebo, and then the other were no meditation, but half receiving naloxone, uh, which, you know, antagonizes opioids. Then they made them touch something really hot, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, it turned out the mindfulness meditation group had around a 20% reduction in pain, uh, regardless of whether or not they were on naloxone. So it's how it. are they how are they measuring uh, the their pain? Well, you know it's it's sub subjectively self reported, but the interesting part about this is that the pain um, didn't depend it was independent of the opioid pathway because naloxone blocks the opioid pathway. So I think this is a, a really cool study that can help hospitals reduce their opiate uh, usage among their patients. What is mindfulness-based meditation? Well, you know, mindfulness meditation um, is one of the non uh, is one of the pain psychology uh, practices that really is considered like an acceptance-based intervention. Uh, it really focuses on that you have to acknowledge that you're in pain and just create kind of an emotional disconnection from it. So, uh, what, you know, one thing they commonly do is tell you to focus on deep breathing and just watch your breath, you know, and uh, think of the air coming in and out. It, it basically just kind of lets you uh, watch yourself, watch things happen and distance yourself from the actual subjective experience of the pain. Some meta-analyses of um, these mindfulness-based uh, stress reduction techniques have shown a small to moderate effect on pain intensity, depression, anxiety, physical well-being, and quality of life. And they, f they appear to be as effective as some other traditional forms of of, of you know behavioral therapy so i guess that, that kind of brings the question up and this is probably not something that you'd be able to necessarily answer but and maybe it's something that pain psychology would need, really need to address but how would you you know address that with with your patients how would you bring that topic up well uh you know i think a lot of patients uh you know the alternative is medications which come with side effects and so, so mindfulness meditation helps people reduce their side effects from medication. So I think there's an interest in that, which, you know, it brings me to uh, another recent study, um, which was published in the Journal of Pain, actually in, uh, in April, which showed it was a retrospective study involving about 5,400 patients from the VA and about 840 patients from Baylor Scott White Health, uh, where they looked retrospectively at patients who once had depression and now were started on opioid therapy. And what they found is that people who are exposed to opioid analgesics were 77 to 117% more likely to experience a recurrence of depression. And another bad side effect that, you know, I don't think gets enough attention when we um, counsel patients is that, you know, op opiates cause hypogonadism. There was a study way back in 2002 in the Journal of Pain which um, looked at the levels of free testosterone, total testosterone, and estradiol. Um, and in 54 patients, 27% uh, of whom were on opioid sustained action uh, medications, you know, 87% of them 
described severe erectile dysfunction and diminished libido after beginning their opioid therapy. And they, uh, you know, roughly 89% had subnormal levels of free testosterone or estradiol. So really, when you mention those side effects to patients, I think an interest, um, you know, kind of arises in some of the non-pharmacologic-based interventions. Uh, Kuj, that was a great quick review of different uh, recent articles, although uh, one is from 2002, so I'm not sure how recent that one is. Um, what's your next segment called? All right, so now we'll do some board review questions. Uh, uh, you mean the segment Quick Questions with Kunj? Yes. Okay, Quick <laughs> Questions with Kunj. All right, so what are the three uh, behavioral medicine techniques that pain psychologists use to you know, treat chronic pain or even acute pain in the hospital? Um, so I'm going to guess one was mindfulness-based therapy. Uh, one is, I'm going to guess, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and, hmm, what, I, I don't know. What would the third one be? Uh, operant behavioral approaches. So I, that's, that's excellent. Yeah. So as you, as we discussed, mindfulness is an example of the acceptance based intervention. Um, and we described that one. So the other one you mentioned, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, is a, you know, it's where you try and correct a maladaptive pattern by, uh, correcting some of their beliefs, um, uh, and maladaptive thoughts. So the, there's findings that show the efficacy of cognitive behavioral therapy continues at one year, and it's the only intervention that actually can, the effect continues to increase um, over time. So the the one we are the, the third one was operant behavioral approaches, and basically that uh, works on uh, again trying not to reinforce some maladaptive behaviors, but this one works by, by, through reinforcement of those behaviors. So uh, one example is not like doing uh, medications on a schedule rather than uh, just as needed when they're in pain because then it encourages a patient to express pain in order to receive the reward, which is medication. Um, another way is getting their family involved. So when they complain or really... Um, uh, you know, are, are perhaps focusing on the pain, which makes them perhaps subjectively experience more pain, having the family member not give as much attention to that because that would be uh, rewarding it. And that, that can be very tough um, emotionally for the family to do. But when the patient goes out in public and starts doing, uh, you know, producting things and living their life, you know, then the family gives a lot of attention to the patient to positively enforce that type of behavior. And I assume the therapist kind of participates in those uh, kind of behavioral uh, enforcement as well. Right, right. They, they provide a lot of guidance and counseling uh, to both the patient and the family member participants. So, so what were those three uh, different types of therapy that can be used in pain psychology? So to summarize, it's acceptance-based interventions, which include mindfulness-based stress reduction. It's cognitive behavioral therapy is the second one. And the third is operant behavioral approaches, which use the operant theory we described. So that's helpful because we do send uh, a lot of patients to see pain psychology. And a lot of times, you know, we're not quite sure what uh, voodoo they're practicing. So uh, this helps us give us an idea of kind of what the actual therapies are and how they work and some of the differences between them. Yeah. 
And I just want to mention that the mindfulness uh, meditation we discussed involves deep breathing. And you'll commonly hear the pain psychologist say that that stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system, since a lot of pain is sympathetically mediated. Um, and that, so that's another one of the underlying um, thoughts behind the field. So the second board question, uh, what do you think uh, is, has a higher opiate potency in a milligram for milligram? Hydrocodone or oxycodone? Say five milligram tab. Okay, so I'm gonna just give everybody out there a chance to think for a second, and I'm gonna guess, uh, is it oxycodone? Actually, it's, uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> oxycodone does have a higher um, milligram, morphine milligram equivalent. Um, it's about 7.5 for a five milligram tab of, uh, say, Percocet or oxycodone. Whereas Lortab, according to some calculators, you know, has a pretty much one-to-one -one, uh, milligram morphine equivalent. So if you want to reduce the opiate burden on your patients, switching them from Percocet to Lortab or, you know, oxycodone to hydrocodone is one way of doing it. Uh, so so he, that brings us to the larger question. So here are, about, here are some medicines, and I want you to order them in terms of their opiate potency. Um, so let's see, methadone, buprenorphine, fentanyl, tramadol, oxycodone, and codeine. Okay, say those again. All right, so fentanyl, methadone, buprenorphine, tramadol, oxycodone, and codeine. Okay, so the, the lowest ones, I'm gonna say, or tramadol and codeine, right. and probably uh, tramadol is the lowest. Is that right? Actually, codeine is the, is the lowest. Codeine is lower than uh, tramadol. Yeah, and codeine is one tenth as strong as as uh, as morphine, whereas codeine is uh, sorry, codeine is one tenth as strong as morphine, whereas tramadol is one fifth as strong. And then I'd say the sh well, the strongest I would say is uh, fentanyl. Yep. Um, and then I would say methadone is second strongest. Actually, it's buprenorphine, which has a 30 to 1 opiate potency. And, and then methadone and, and then, then methadone. oxycodone? Yes. So the, the strongest is fentanyl, and then buprenorphone, and then methadone, then oxycodone, and then tramadol, and then codeine is lowest. Excellent. Yes. Okay. Yes. And there are some interesting studies that were, have been done. So in, emergency, in patients who showed up to the emergency medicine room, uh, they were blinded to whether or not they were receiving Percocet or Tylenol with codeine, and then in another study, Lortab or Clinol with codeine. And what they found is that adults had equal analgesic relief with Tylenol with codeine. So one way of decreasing the opioid burden in patients is to switch them down to Tylenol with codeine, although you shouldn't blind them like you did in this, like in this study. Um, and then, and also, like I mentioned, using Lortab or hydrocodone in place of oxycodone is another way. And two double-blinded studies in adults, again, showed equal analgesic relief. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, these, it's really important to keep this in mind, especially uh, when, you know, training around these medications that you're not increasing the dose. And, you know, there is a certain amount of uh, tolerance that doesn't, you know, cross over between uh, the medications. So, and I, I know there's, there's probably whole courses in kind of switching people between different opioids, but uh, in terms of board review, I think it's good to kind of keep in mind, you know, the order of potency of these different uh, uh, opioid agents. And one option would always be to 
definitely look at an opioid calculator. Uh, there's plenty of those available, including on you know droids and iPhones uh, that you can look at. Yeah, and even though I mentioned the studies showing equal analgesic relief, mind you, those were given to an entire population. So it's always hard to apply to a single patient, uh, but what you'll find is overall um, that it will work for majority of the patients, although we'll have exceptional cases that really prefer one medicine over the other. And there's also, I, I think there's genetic differences. Absolutely. Patients, yeah, yeah. That kind of explains some of those. And I, I think it's always important to note that redheads have decreased uh, pain tolerance <laughs> as, as a redhead myself. <laughs> right. So another question is, you know, what are the opioid receptor types and what are, what are, the, what are their actions? Uh, well, the, the classic analgesic one is, is the mu receptor, uh, and then there's uh, kappa and delta. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So mu1 is the typical one that causes analgesia, but the mu2 receptor is the one associated with a lot of the side effects, like respiratory depression, sedation, vomiting, euphoria, anorexia, physical dependence, and pruritus. You know, the delta receptor causes analgesia and spinal analgesia. And the kappa is the one we classically associate with dysphoria. It also can cause a little bit of euphoria, respiratory depression, dyspnea, psychomimetic effects, and analgesia as well. So, yeah, that, so that summarizes the board questions for today. Um, so that, that, does that end quick uh, questions with Kunj? Yeah, I think, I think we both feel a little bit smarter now. And hopefully uh, everybody does too. Well, thanks, Kunj. Uh, we'll definitely have you back uh, next week to do more article uh, review and more board questions. Um, uh, thanks, Kunj. And uh, that ends the PMNR podcast for today. Uh, some weekly features that we'll have on the podcast uh, includes a poll on pegwar.com. Uh, this will help us get kind of a sense of how different how you guys feel about different topics uh, in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Uh, these polls are open to the public, but uh, if you are interested in giving your feedback on these questions, uh, please uh, join us online. That ends this week's PM&R Blast podcast. One final note, we are always looking for more people to help out with the podcast. Uh, either presenting articles or different segments. If you're interested in participating, please email us at pmrblast at gmail.com.